The Batmobile. <gasps> Adam West! Hey, kids, Batman! Dad, that's not the real Batman. Of course I'm Batman. See, here's a picture of me with Robin. Who the hell's Robin? Oh, I guess you're only familiar with the new Batman movies. How come Batman doesn't dance anymore? Remember the bat to see? <clears throat> Yo, hey, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> nice meeting you. Just keep moving. Don't make eye contact. It's Britney, bitch. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such as, and... We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Our next-door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. Now watch this drive. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Remember Shuffle. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordano. Hello, hello. And joining us today, a good friend of ours and expert podcaster, John. Say hi, John. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here as an expert podcaster. You did the Sopranos pod with Jordana for a while there, right? Yeah. Yeah, John and I briefly had a Sopranos podcast because I had seen it 20 times and just wanted to talk about it. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about that stupid art for stupid people, the Sopranos. We're talking yeah. about a real <laughs> intellectual piece of pop culture today. We are talking about the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Films near and dear to all of our hearts, I'm sure. And I think that these movies are fun to do a retrospective on because there's so much superhero content nowadays. You have the MCU, which is the highest grossing franchise of all time across all of its 20 or whatever movies. You have streaming series on Netflix and Disney+. Plus. You have network TV series like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There is just a stupid content mill of superhero garbage. I'm going to go on the record and say most of that Marvel Studios stuff is dog shit. You also have the Warner Bros. trying to do the DC Extended Universe, which sucks in a very different way. Looking back at Chris Nolan, this is the zygote that gave us all of this, that grew into this monstrosity. But I think it is also the Goldilocks between these two things. So on one end of the spectrum, we have the DC Extended Universe. You have Zack Snyder, which is way too serious, way too dorky. This is a guy who thinks that superheroes are modern mythology. These are gods that need to be respected. This is a whole big thing behind the Snyder cut is that the Joss Whedon cut that was too campy. It, it wasn't serious. Yeah, these are modern gods and heroes, and I am Homer. I am the bard who retells <laughs> the stories of the heroes. You also have, also in the DC universe, this way too gritty, not even fun, we live in a society style superhero. So these are your 2019 Jokers and your 2022 The Batmans. The superhero films where fun goes to die. <laughs> so that's one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum, you have the MCU, which is just baby-brained. It's frenetic with its lights and colors. It's like a, a baby's mobile in the crib turned <laughs> into a film. Pew, 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 pew. 
it's a content mill. Everything is connected to another thing. I remember there was one MCU film where in order to understand the backstory, you had to have watched several seasons of ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Jesus Christ. It's the triumph of content over culture. And what I like about these Christopher Nolan movies, he's a competent director. I like his other movies. He has themes in the movie, which I don't think I ever got from watching Iron Man 3 or something. But... Christopher Nolan will gesture towards themes. He won't figure the whole thing out for you. You ever go to like an art museum and they put the artist's blurb about the work there and it would be like, oh, this work seeks to explore the relationship between materials and the self. And I feel like that's what he's doing. He's at least gesturing towards like the nature of criminality and democracy or something. What does it mean to be a symbol instead of a man? Right, which is like a lot more than you ever get out of a Marvel movie. He does ask the questions. He doesn't always answer them but he at least asks them <laughs> with all that being said we are an unabashedly leftist pod over here and we have to say that though we like these films i think that they are the greatest conservative or reactionary or dare i say even fascist propaganda films of all time a through line through all three is that democracy is a problem the people are a threat and they will turn the mob is a thing that needs to be controlled by one strong man figure one billionaire vigilante Batman is the only thing. The thin bat line is the only thing standing between anarchy and order. We'll get into this as we get into the movies, but this is hardly a hot take that Batman is an inherently reactionary kind of figure, right? He's a billionaire who deals with his childhood traumas by beating up poor people. The nerd lib take is like, uh, you know, Gotham actually needs Bruce Wayne to use his money to address the systemic issues or whatever. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to sell a lot of comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Batman hosts fundraisers. <laughs> the new story arc. <laughs> It's like, oh, why doesn't Batman start an NGO? Or why doesn't he Pokemon go to the polls <laughs> and, and vote? Vote for... <laughs> yeah. He, he prosecutes financial crimes or something. Tax evasion. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, hold on. Lib Batman would be like, why doesn't Batman break in and get Trump's tax records? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Batman's facing his direst threat yet. Russian misinformation. <laughs> he flies to Russia and he beats up like the 12 guys they had posting on Facebook to save democracy. Yeah, or in this one, he does therapy with the Joker, tries yeah. to solve his mental health issues. I do enjoy that in Batman Begins, they sort of draw a through line when he first brings Alfred down to the Batcave. Alfred's like, oh, you know, your great-great-grandfather. He, uh, oh, this, yeah. he was part of the, run the uh, Underground Railroad. This place probably help free some slaves yeah it's like wow you're drawing a direct line from the underground railroad in terms of breaking the law for a moral cause to batman i was like that's it's a little different <laughs> yeah it also shows that the waynes are historic old money they're not tech billionaires they're meant to be like the vanderbilts or whatever and i don't know find me a historic vanderbilt that dealt with the underground railroad i don't think it was the rich who were <laughs> underground railroading back in the <laughs> 1800s <laughs> I think that was a real grassroots, bottom-up kind of thing that happened. Do you guys both feel positively about Christopher Nolan as a director then? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, he's only made one movie I didn't like, and I'm convinced that he started COVID in order to create a disaster so that nobody would see Tenet because he was so <laughs> embarrassed by it. Yeah, I, I like his dedication to, to cinema. He hates CGI. He hates 3D. He loves IMAX, which IMAX is a Canadian invention, so he's doing great things for the Canadian economy. Yeah, big fan. I think that's the number one thing that I come back to for Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises is all the IMAX stuff. I think it's the best thing that he does. He likes the spectacle. There's definitely big issues with his storytelling. 
but I think he makes movies that are generally fun to go to. Do you guys know what the next Nolan movie is? It's coming out. It's the no. the Oppenheimer. It's the Oppenheimer right. movie. Yeah, he's making a Robert Oppenheimer movie. Yeah, do. I wonder <laughs> if he's going to explore time, the nature of time, and maybe even the nature of being. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you pointed out to me that he loves to think of himself as a philosopher, for sure. Yeah, he's a philosopher who works in film. Both the Nolan brothers do a lot of that. Even Westworld started thinking a lot about robots and humans. At least they're asking these questions, which is more than you'll get out of Michael Bay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Michael Bay has more to say on the military-industrial complex <laughs> and the way Yeah, it's society... awesome. <laughs> That's what he thinks. No, it's man. Like... Have you guys seen Ambulance? It's terrific. It is much more political than people would imagine. Michael Bay has a through-line of this, The Rock classic, and he is critiquing the military. It might seem like much of it is glorifying it, but there is also a critique. Yeah, I love when he critiqued the military in Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, Pearl Harbor is trash. <laughs> I, I will say this. Michael Bay has a distinctive visual style. Bayhem, I've heard it called. Ambulance is pure Bayhem. But yeah, Christopher Nolan, Goldilocks syndrome of superhero movies. That's kind of why we're doing this. I love his rejection of CGI. The Dark Knight Rises, which is definitely is the weakest film of the three, has this amazing opening scene that literally involved a cargo helicopter hanging a fuselage and actually having skydivers go into this thing and filming all that from other aircraft over a field in Scotland. Dedication amazing to the stuff. For The Dark Knight, he actually flipped a tractor trailer over to get that shot. He blew up a real building that was scheduled for demolition. He killed a real stuntman. <laughs> he killed a real actor. He turned a real actor into a psychopath. He's grounded in realism. <laughs> he has Heath Ledger's blood on his hands. I think we could say that. And the discourse around, was this movie too twisted? <laughs> was, this, was this movie, was the movie prep what drove Heath Ledger to suicide? It was everywhere and it was nauseating. It also seemed to like have impacted a way a lot of the guys talked about it, like Paul Dano and the latest one being like, oh, it gave me nightmares to play the Riddler. Oh. And it's like, okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's start at the beginning with Batman Begins. It's an origin story. Before this film, I feel like superhero movies didn't always need to start with the origins. Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, they kind of did it through flashbacks. But the opening scene, Batman's already Batmaning. And you know he's Batmaning. In the first X-Men... The X-Men are already a team. You see some of them get together, but they already have the fucking uniforms and everything when they get going. But we start with an origin story. The opening scene is not some big high-stakes action scene. It is a little boy falling into a well. And this movie tells you how Batman got his ninja training from a secret league of shadows to become the Batman we all know and love. The one that committed corporate embezzlement of military-industrial complex gadgets. Unlike previous films that handled his backstory in these like short little flashbacks this film really takes its time and we jump around from the present to the past to see how batman began and this movie jumps forward and back in time quite a bit in a very i guess christopher nolan move this is the closest he can come to doing time travel i was imagining you know that meme of the kid who, who's like trying not to say something and has like the vein popping out of his forehead that's how i imagine christopher nolan was making this movie without putting time travel in it but the main story is that bruce wayne is so racked with guilt and anger after his parents are killed in a back alley that he absconds to asia where he's recruited by a, the shadowy League of Shadows and given ninja training from Ra's al Ghul, Liam Neeson. Yeah, a white guy with an Arabic name who lives in China. Don't worry about it. Very yeah. shadowy. We find Bruce Wayne, he's, he's in prison, in sort of like a Tibetan prison of some kind, and they recruit him there to, to become a ninja. And we learn that the League of Shadows, they have an ideology that I guess we would call draconian. 
there is a, a gentleman, a peasant, who is accused of stealing like an onion or something, and they tell Batman or Bruce Wayne that he has to kill him. Yeah, and this is like their graduation ritual. This is Batman's ninja bar mitzvah, is to decapitate the peasant who stole bread. Blood or... in, blood out, bro. It was <laughs> land, actually. It was land. He was a land thief. He was taking his neighbor's land. Oh, okay. Does that change you? Did your thoughts on property rights? Yeah, it's compl- <laughs> it was completely uh, justified. The penalty? Yeah, in this case, I'm sorry, I gotta say. Yeah, the, the League of Shadows, they immediately generate conflict with Batman or Bruce Wayne over this because Bruce Wayne also sees himself as dedicated to justice. That's why he's getting the ninja training, so he can go back to Gotham City, clean up the streets. But Bruce Wayne's still figuring out what his definition of justice is. What he does know is that it is not extrajudicial killing for any minor offense. And say what you will about the League of Shadows, they are more consistent than Batman in this film. (laughs) They have a very simple thing, you know, any crime, death, killed. Tough but fair. Except for the crime of extrajudicial killings. Yeah, which is... (laughs) Which is is very fine. (laughs) Which is victimless. (laughs) Yeah, so Batman, when given the order to kill the peasant, he instead decides to burn down the monastery. (laughs) That's that's an accident. That's... He didn't mean... But yes, he does burn down the entire monastery where... Dozens of people lived and trained. He runs back, he returns to Gotham, and becomes the mass vigilante that we all know. And the only two good people in the justice system in town, his childhood friend Rachel Dawes, who's an assistant to the DA, and Sergeant Jim Gordon, played by Gary Oldman. And together they work to clean up the city. And the main conflict of Batman Begins is unraveling a mystery involving a mob psychiatrist named Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow. Played by Cillian Murphy, who crushes. Yeah, I mean, Cillian Murphy's just, he's got that alien face that is so good, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I kept Benedict Cumberbatch model. (laughs) (laughs) And Scarecrow... He seems to possess the ability to drive people mad with fear. Fear. (laughs) And eventually it's revealed that Scarecrow is working with the League of Shadows to have Gotham destroy itself through mass fear intoxication released through the water system. League of Shadows, they're very upset that the idea of crime is happening in Gotham. You know, they're like an Asia-based organization, but they know that there's this city out there where a lot of crime is happening. Well, it's the world capital. Well, no, because it exists in the same universe as Metropolis. Aren't they supposed to be sort of the Chicago to the New York? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's clearly Chicago in the first two films, too. So yeah. Oh, yeah, they don't try to dress it up at all, especially in The Dark Knight. They're like, look at the Chicago. <laughs> you could see the corncob towers from Bruce Wayne's apartment. <laughs> As you were saying, Giordano, the League of Shadows, this Asia-based organization, is very concerned with Chicago crime statistics. Much like Fox News. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they basically plan on releasing a fear toxin into the air so that Gotham goes nuts with terror and rips itself apart. Because that's just what they've done since the dawn of time. Yeah, the big reveal that happens in the third act of the movie is that the League of Shadows isn't just an innocent ninja justice organization. They are this historical cabal that goes all the way back to ancient Roman times. They mow the grass whenever a civilization gets too big and too decadent. So Liam Neeson's Ra's al Ghul says that the League of Shadows sacked Rome and burned down London. And my favorite stupid guy idea is that when they first try to destroy Gotham, they used a new weapon, something called economics. And it turns out every major recession and depression of world history was in fact the product of this secret board of shadow ninjas. Yeah, they might have like expanded the scope a little too far on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it seems like <laughs> seems you're trying excessive. to ground this all in a reality. Here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The problem is not capitalism. The problem is ninja crony capitalism. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess this might be like a good point to get into like how this invented the genre of the the gritty reboot. If you compare this movie to Batman and Robin, it's just comical how different they are. It goes into the origin story of the character. It's a lot more grounded in reality, a lot darker. If you compare, for example, Casino Royale to any of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, I guess like it, it was a genre that I really liked. You get to reboot it, like the, the new World of Warcraft reboot. And what's funny is that grounded and realistic is a very relative term. Yes. Like, I remember very. at this time being like, man, this is like so realistic. It's, I saw this as like a 13-year-old kid, and I was like, man, Batman could happen. Someone <laughs> could Batman if they wanted to, right? It's just a matter of will. But watching it now with in the cold, sober light of day with hindsight as a grown-ass man, I'm like, oh, this Batmobile is still a rocket car. Yeah. It is still as rocket car as the big black dildo-shaped ones of the 1980s and 90s. I think it's just suffering from success because this genre has been done so much that at this point, it's like l listening to Lenny Bruce's comedy album being like, people were offended by this. The things that it was doing, I think, have just been copied by everybody. And yeah, the idea of a car flying from roof to roof seemed more realistic in 2005. Because it was a military vehicle, Jordana. You don't, have, you don't know what kind of gear they have over there. Yeah, it is wild how they're like, oh, well, all of Batman's gear is incredible because it's built for the military. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is the same military that's going to lose to the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> I also love how they need to reverse engineer all of the Batman lore that we know and love. So there's a lot of pandery fan service, right? Like, how does he have a cape? Okay, uh, military tech. It's like a special fabric that you put a current through it. It becomes rigid, so he's like hang gliding. Okay, cool. All right, well, what about the uh, smoke bombs? Well, that's uh, ninja stuff. Mystic Eastern ninja stuff. And they cover almost all of it, but the one thing that is just too stupid for them to find any reason for is the goddamn batarangs. <laughs> They could have done, like, throwing stars or something mm. from the ninja side of things, but instead you just see Bruce Wayne in the Batcave working like a tool-and-die grinder machine into these bat-shaped projectiles, which he instantly knows how to throw perfectly. He throws them with such accuracy that he's hitting light bulbs in that first scene on the docks. And that's the one where it's like, yeah, you're just going to have to uh, accept the batarangs. Look, they only accept the best for the League of Shadows training. That's just who he is. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's just some of that Christopher Nolan conservatism where it's like, listen, this guy's from a pure blood blue blood family he does everything amazing <laughs> yeah 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 he's a, he's american nobility so they have a secret sport that you don't know about it's like polo but mm -hmm. it's just throwing batarangs <laughs> so let's get into the three main themes of this movie which are stated over and over again they're fear justice and symbolism yeah symbolism might not be the right word i feel like symbolism is the thing you're gonna it's like myth, a myth making myth making yeah <laughs> fear you know, fear is the mind killer. It's bad, folks. We don't like it unless we're using it. <laughs> when I was watching Batman Begins, I don't know about you guys, but the thing that popped out to me the most was, okay, so the League of Shadows wants to cripple Gotham with fear and make daily life too hard because everyone's afraid and rip apart society. And in 2005, this is at the height of the war on terror. The, the country that people are living in has declared war on the concept of terror. <laughs> And the I, basics of this movie is that Gotham needs to fight being afraid. This is when there was a daily color-coded terror alert. Like the fucking weather. Yeah. Right? Be like, oh, oh, it's an orange alert today. <laughs> Be a little more nervous out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you want me to change my behavior, government? <laughs> 
The terrorists are extra active today. I just need to, yeah, be I'm gonna vigilant. Beam, yeah. Keep, keep my head on a swivel. You see something, say something. Uh, <laughs> and so after September 11th, the idea that nowhere in America was safe, right? The Applebee's in Gary, Indiana could be the next target. It's a high-profile target right there. And so you need to live your life in fear and, and be on, on constant alert of your enemies. Yeah, also, can we just talk about how awful the War on Terror branding was? What was the last war on that we had? We had the War on Drugs. How'd that go? Who's winning that? I feel like I feel like drugs have the advantage. <laughs> We're winning. What are you talking about? We, we did a big bust last week. I don't know if you saw. They got millions of dollars worth of drugs. Oh, cool. So that, that should be the end of that, right? Yeah. A few yeah. more victories like this. Mission accomplished. The war on drugs. <laughs> yeah, we're not great on declaring war on abstract concepts, I guess. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it's really tough to nail an abstract concept. War on poverty, war on drugs, war on terror. Fear is one of the themes of the movie. War on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say one more thing about the fear thing. Batman's goal ultimately is to take fear, which is a weakness, and turn it into a strength by putting that weakness onto his enemies, making them fear him. And that also just seems to be very parallel to the United States at that yeah, time. That also describes the war it's on just terror. Just a little yeah. <laughs> well, fear jujitsu. Instead know? of the bat, we just have the drone. <laughs> We're going to take the aerial vehicle and make and use it for our own purposes to make you afraid. Yeah, you flew planes into our building. Wait till you see what we could do with robot plane. <laughs> yeah, I I read somewhere that in the border reaches between Afghanistan and Pakistan, the scariest days are the days when there are no clouds. Because when there are clouds, you can see the black of the drone against it, and you can see them coming, and you can hide. But when there are no clouds, the death just comes without warning. Bum. Bum, bum, <laughs> bum, bum. Yeah, bum. put that Hans Zimmer score in there. <laughs> Uh, He's so good. I hold on. You want to you want to hear my Hans Zimmer impression? Brassy fucking music spell. It's kind of cheese, man. I I think of the Inception music swells. My favorite Hans Zimmer theme is the True Romance one. Oh, you're so cool. Yeah, that rocks. That fucking marimba. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yeah, sorry. That's the best. You can tell that fear is one of the main themes because the word fear is easily used in the high double digits. Like Liam Neeson says, to conquer fear, you must become fear. You must pass through the fear and men fear what they cannot see. When I heard that line, I was like, shut the fuck. <laughs> Could we have gotten a script doctor on this? There's one sentence with fear is five of the words in there. You as the viewer can see this coming a mile away. In the scene where Batman's parents are murdered, the little child actor, Bruce Wayne, he gets scared in the opera because there are bats. And so you know that the, they're about to get murdered. And the father takes the whole family out because Bruce is afraid. And then his parents die in the alley. And then he's all traumatized. He's like, it's my fault. I killed them. And Alfred whiffs on an opportunity to say, yes, Bruce, it is your fault. You killed your parents because you weren't brave enough. He's a bad son. My hot take. That is a very spicy take. <laughs> yeah, that child should not have had a post-traumatic reaction yeah. to being attacked I'm sorry, by you, bats. You can't sit through the opera. You can't. <laughs> Famously. But look at the bats. They twirled really, really fast. Man. Yeah, they, they were like Russian gymnasts just doing interpretive dance. Well, you couldn't get me to Cirque du Soleil for the exact same reason. <laughs> I don't like it. It's not yeah. natural. But yeah, that's fear. I mean, it dovetails kind of nice into the symbolism and myth-making thing of the Batman. So Batman wants to use fear 
to make criminality go down. Not enough to lock up a few criminals, but if he becomes more than a man, if he becomes a symbol, which is something that he says, it's a preventative measure. Some people will not become criminals because they're afraid of the bat symbol, of the bat man. So I guess the opposite of fear in this case is hope. This is something that goes through all three of the films, this contrast, that Batman is meant to be a symbol of hope for the people of Gotham and a symbol of fear for his enemies. It's something the movie lays out very explicitly. When he's on the plane back to Gotham from Asia, Bruce Wayne says, man could be killed. I need to become a symbol. I mean, when you're trying to ground Batman in realism, it's like, what do you do? Because this is a guy who, up until this point, it really is the reaction to everything the same way that James Bond was, the way it got very kind of campy in the late 90s. The Brosnan ones are full of gadgets, weird, like terrible side characters. The Batmans that, I mean, I grew up loving, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, I liked those a lot as a kid, but... They're Same. supposed to be the worst movies of all time, especially the last one, Batman and Robin. They're really trying to find a grounded way of not just showing you Batman, but justifying Batman. So the idea of the symbol is like, this is why he's useful. This is why we should give a shit that even though he's a billionaire, even though he's not doing anything beyond beating up people and targeted things, one man things, there's this bigger idea. He's scalable. Yeah. And then in Batman Begins, he says to Gordon when he's about to go bust Carmine Falcone at the docks, he says, Watch for my signal. And the signal is, wouldn't you know it, the bat signal, which he makes by like slicing open the mobster's jacket so it looks like wings and stringing them up on top of a floodlight. And later, in the, I think it's the opening scene of The Dark Knight, Gordon says he just shines the bat signal some nights and Batman doesn't show up. He doesn't answer the call. But just the fact that that symbol is up there in the sky can scare criminals away. Yeah, I think what you're saying is it hits the nail on the head. On the one hand, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a meditation on the superhero. What could a superhero do? What what value add does one person offer? And it's the making of meaning through symbols. And it also asks as pandery fan service. Where'd the bat signal come from? Yeah, and to reiterate, these ideas are more than any Marvel movie ever gives you. Maybe X-Men a little bit gives you a racism allegory. Importantly, though, X-Men is not Marvel Studios. It's oh, a, no. It's made by Sony. Yeah, it's made by problematic director Brian Singer. Theme number three is, of course, justice. Again, a word that is said 10,000 times in the film. Early on in the film, told through, I think, flashbacks, we see a young Bruce Wayne, before he goes to Asia, going to the court to see the proceedings in which his parents' killer is about to be released. His parents' killer cut a deal to rat on the mob and get out. And he seriously contemplates just assassinating this guy with a revolver. And he gets into it with his childhood friend, Rachel Dawes, played by Katie Holmes, the assistant DA. And they talk about the difference between justice and revenge. She believes in the system. And he says the system is corrupt and weak and what have you. Then he gets into conflict with the League of Shadows. This isn't justice. He deserves to be tried by a court of law. And this is why I say the Batman's ideology is kind of incoherent in this movie, where he believes in taking the law into his own hands but not so hard that he's going to kill someone. He believes that the institutions are corrupt, but that people still deserve to be tried by them if you can only get the good people in those corrupt institutions to do it. Yeah, it's a little incoherent. A lot of contradictions there. He's just not looking at it at a structural level. You know, this is the big complaint of FM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the League of Shadows and him want the same thing and, and like i feel like batman villains often have the same goal as batman which is to have a gotham without crime like the riddler in the newest the batman wanted that we want to rid the city of corruption yeah and his way of doing it extrajudicially is just different than 
the, the other people. Yeah, it's a really a methods issue that they disagree with. Yeah, it's weird that we've never really had a Batman villain who just wanted to rob banks, get rich. I guess the closest you get is the vague kind of mobstery figures that play second fiddle to the super villain type of guys. They're one of the constants through almost all the Bat stories, though. There's the Maronis and the... Falcones. Falcones, yeah. And they show up in a lot of the big comic books. I really think, if it's worth mentioning, one of the other sort of big echoes of the darkness that this one looks at is The Dark Knight Returns. I'm not sure if either of you guys have read it. Yeah, I have. It's a Frank Miller, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's well, it's Frank Miller, you know, kind of what you're in for. Yeah, guy who wrote 300. Yeah, and <laughs> Batman in that is retired, and he comes back, and it's just pretty vicious. It's a very certain look at the fascist aspects of your old Bat Pal, and plenty of dark takes on Batman before, but especially coming from those lighthearted films we were talking about. I feel like the the mob stuff is always a good tie-in to try to bridge that gap between realism and the extreme stuff. Even in Dark Knight, the Joker's interaction with the mob that really starts a lot of that stuff off. I'm one of the people that I kind of like Batman before these movies and would have liked to see them play a little bit more on the detective side of things, and that mm-hmm. the mob stuff off is where there's the richer grounds for that to at least lay the story and then be expanded upon by some of the rogues gallery but so you must have liked the batman 2022 because it did a lot of that i i, I didn't grounded. dislike it as much as i yeah. thought i did think that the, the detective stuff was actually fun i thought that robert pattinson's batman was great that batman is just sort of this weird awkward like other batmans like the kilmer batman the clooney batman they fuck <laughs> but robert pattinson's batman does not fuck <laughs> No, he, he's, he's the incel Batman. He's the socially maladjusted <laughs> incel Batman. Versus the other bad incels. Um, <laughs> it, it was definitely... Intra incel violence must <laughs> I really did like Batman Begins when it came out because I felt like for me, as someone who liked like, the animated series and the character as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, this is maturing like I am. Mm-hmm. 13, I don't know shit. But... Also, speaking of Frank Miller, who wrote some of these 1980s Batman stories that were very dark and were definitely the spiritual source material for this grounded, gritty reboot stuff. Frank Miller has some pretty oh, horrible politics. He's a pretty big piece of shit. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he hates Muslims, like, a lot. Really? I, 300. You, I saw 300. I didn't get any of that from the <laughs> Yeah, and so he wrote, yeah, he wrote 300, which has uh, some thoughts on people from the East. <laughs> But he wanted to write a comic book called Holy Terror Batman. And his logic was if Captain America could go punch Hitler in World War II. During the War on Terror, we need Batman to go punch Osama bin Laden. And he just wanted to make the Islamophobe Batman story. And DC was like, no, you can't do that. These damn communists in DC comics. (laughs) But yeah. That's Batman Begins. That's the plots and themes. Let's talk, about, yeah, let's talk about some stuff that we like. Casting is exceptional. Christian Bale, he may not be the best Batman, but he is 1,000% the best Bruce Wayne. When he's at his best, he's doing his Patrick Bateman, Patrick Batman, you know, billionaire playboy. He's incredible at it. Oh, yeah. In the scene where he, he shows up, he's back from the dead. They're having a corporate board meeting. They're about to take his family's company public. And he just starts flirting with the receptionist. He commits some light Me Too. <laughs> and the evil CEO is like, whoa, what's going on here? He has some swagged out line where it's like, oh, I thought I could show up. My family's name is on the building or some shit like that. You know, Patrick Bateman also a rich guy who's been handed everything to him who in his mind is eradicating the city of <laughs> its worst elements who oh man you know he's not the hero of that tale right what <laughs> i mean batman has never fed a cat into an atm 
but <laughs> I did want to know how many dogs does Batman kill in these first two movies? Oh my like, god, they're very. It's a very anti-dog series for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you're not a cop, and I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> nice. A, a, a cab includes Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon's a bit fascist in the second one. He, yeah. Well, he has people who are willing to do whatever he says. And that's why he allows crooked people in his organization who work outside of the law. Well, yeah, I mean, they're reactionary films. So, of course, the cops are like that. Yeah. Let's get into Commissioner Gordon, played by Gary Oldman. He's great in everything. Why wouldn't he be great in this? I think he captures he's exhausted. He's exasperated. There is a world in which this could be very lazy. He's the one good, morally upright paragon, but I think he does a nice job of he's trying to do the right thing. He's tired. He does kind of turn a blind eye sometimes. He's a, he's a guy who's been dealt a shitty hand and he's doing his best. The White Hat Sheriff. And then you have Michael Caine. Michael Caine. The best oh, Alfred I've seen in a movie in my lifetime. Yeah. If you say the <laughs> phrase, my cocaine, like cocaine that Michael belongs Caine. to me, if you say it very quickly, it sounds like saying Michael Caine in his accent. Michael Caine. I've heard the best way to do a Michael Caine accent is to only say a few words at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One little touch that I love about the Michael Caine Alfred is that the movie makes clear he's Batman's adopted father. And when they're flying back from Asia on the private jet, Michael Caine says that he actually inherited all of Bruce Wayne's stock in Wayne Enterprise when he had Bruce declared dead. So this man is a billionaire who chooses to continue to be a butler. <laughs> he is driven by the call, the vocation of butlering. <laughs> and their butler-guy relationship is a relationship of equals. There's no power dynamic because he's literally a billionaire butler. Look on Rewatch, it's the shit in the Dark Knight especially. that I was like, yo, Alfred's way more politically active in these than... Oh, yeah. Bruce. I mean, Alfred's a bit reactionary in this movie, too, because we found out he killed communists in Burma <laughs> once upon a time. Yeah. He doesn't say when he tells a story about the thief who just wanted to watch the world burn. But I know for a fact that, and I think this is what Christopher Nolan is alluding to, the SAS, the British elite, elite, elite special forces, one of their earliest missions after World War II was hunting down communists in Myanmar, Burma. And I think it's implied that Alfred's one of them. I think the only only weak casting in Batman Begins is, I think, Katie Holmes. And you know who else thought that? Christopher Nolan, <laughs> who recast. I thought she walked away. Yeah, I think that's the story that she had to film. Oh, I can't remember what it is, but it's the most forgettable movie ever. But I mean, it's just hard to imagine her being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to step away from this franchise to do the whole 10 yards or whatever it was. And OK, here's putting on my Freud cap right here. The reason Bruce Wayne is into her is that she is a surrogate mother figure for him because most of her lines are like your mom you're her most passive aggressive. You know, your father would be ashamed of you. This is something that Rachel Dawes says to him. When he finally does the right thing, she says, you know, I was wrong. Your father would be proud of you. And I am too. She withholds love until mm. he does the thing that she wants. I like that he doesn't get together with her. Like, yeah. Like other superhero movies. Uh, there's one more casting choice, which was good. They cast Qui-Gon Jinn as Ra's al Ghul. Yes. Mm-hmm. Although I did think it was weird when they were in the ninja training place together and Ra's al Ghul told Batman I want you to go out onto the streets and I want you to find the first black bastard you see <laughs> and bring him to me before Batman decides to burn down the, the, the monastery. monastery yeah no, that was that was allyship on Batman's part right yeah there. I never understood why they were even bothered with the ruse of he's not Ra's al Ghul ah but he is Ra's al Ghul like yeah. we didn't even touch on it because it's just so meaningless and so fucking useless but yeah something you could see coming a million miles away too also 
a line that's repeated twice in the film. This shows you how like, truly therapy pilled this movie is. <laughs> Christopher Nolan has gone to therapy and internalized all of the lessons. Katie Holmes' character says, it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. Something that Batman repeats. That's how he reveals his identity to her. That's literally a line from BoJack Horseman that Diana <laughs> says, which mm -hmm. is like the most therapy-pilled show. I don't think there is a deep down underneath. There's only what we do, which is, again, such bullshit therapy platitudes that snuck into the Batman films, which... Seems like a good message. The underlying premise of the films is that the best therapy, dressing like a bad and beating up poor people. <laughs> I mean, the villain in this movie is a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only other casting thing I think I'd really note is young Prince Joffrey, of course. Oh, yeah, it's a little boy. Uh, yeah, making one of his early film credits mm. uh, as the young boy who Batman gives... A little pep talk to her. I'd also say this movie, I remember it being a very nice looking movie, and then I came back to it and I'm like, everything's just so fucking brown. Oh, mm. I thought this movie looked I thought it awesome. looked pretty good, but it looks like it's, it's just very so brown. Yeah, it's very brown orange, definitely. Yeah. I 100% agree. Every movie, like we just did Twilight, that puts that blue hue on everything. And this movie definitely has a brown hue on everything. One thing I'll say, I remember this movie being a lot darker and grittier than it actually is. Again, straight up Goldilocks syndrome, where there are some periods of darkness, like the, the freaky fucking hallucinations that you see, like the scary Batman interrogating, or he gets lit on fire at one point, whatever, whatever, whatever. But there's some levity in the car chase scene. The cops are like, yeah, oh, he's driving a black uh, tank. And they have like all these, these like very action movie kind of zingers. Uh, yeah, a lot of the zingers are centered around the Batmobile, I've noticed. You know, like Batman's like, do you know how to drive stick? And like, <laughs> there's the line, uh, I got to get me one of those. Yeah, Gord literally says, I got to get me one of these. The Batmobile just... It's like a black hole for horniness. It yeah. seems like it just rubs off of it. So yeah, I yeah I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought. I initially thought, man, origin stories are boring. But yeah, looking back on it, this was the amount of stuff they cram into this compared to, like, I don't know, watch one of the first origin story Marvel movies and they don't become a hero until the last fucking 20 minutes. This origin story, thanks to like, the Chris Nolan time joke, gives you what you want pretty quick. Yeah, I liked this movie about as much as I remembered it. It was really satisfying to go back and just be like yeah this is not amazing but this is a really solid back to front it's fun it's pretty rewatchable it's it's well made it it's looks my good. favorite of the three i think really yeah that's what i felt i used to say that for a while when i was younger but I, i've come around i think that the dark knight is a little more impressive in a few ways but i was just gonna say uh, i have the very contrarian take that my favorite is the third one. Oh. <laughs> oh, boo, boo. oh wait, wait, wait wait let me walk it out let me walk it out okay i recognize that in terms of quality it is not the best one you just have a crush on tom hardy i do okay <laughs> have you I, seen the size of his fucking back in that movie i was i was actually gonna say traps his traps <laughs> you're rooting for Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no i i love it because i have taken a lot of l's in my life <laughs> i'm doing a podcast because i've taken a lot of l's and the dark knight rises is about how no matter how many l's you take you just keep going it is a movie about perseverance so what do we fall master away? <laughs> yeah. So that we can get up, so we can climb out of the pit and fight the Tom Hardy Bane. 
oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> like, why are there so many bad voices in this series? God. Oh, you think that? Okay, we're. I hate the Bane voice personally. I think it's kind of entertaining, but like, ah, oh, it's ridiculous. It's I'm oh, I, I am a big villainous man. <laughs> okay, we get. In, I don't think. I don't in like terms it. of the voices of the three, you know, we got the Joker voice, Batman voice, and then Bane voice. I think those are probably the three most iconic. What are the rankings for you guys? Other than Michael Caine voice. <laughs> That's just an accent. That's just a normal guy from that part of London. (laughs) You're just my old guy. Um, I think that the Joker is the best. No, Tom Hardy Bane voice is the best. In terms of actual performance, I would say that, yeah, like I'd give it to Heath Ledger here. No, just in it being like the and least the annoying. Voice. The least annoying. That's what we're ranking right now. Oh, no, no. I find, I find like the lip smacking here. Let me do it on the recording. <laughs> I want to know how I got these scars and so on. It's it's scary. I don't know. It kind of like <laughs> it's a little why, Oh my God. Why is his mouth so dry? <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. He's tasting the inside of his scars, I think, or something. Heath Ledger actually did it because the the scarring prosthetics annoyed him so much like an accident of, of makeup or whatever but no man the most annoying is the fucking is the batman bat- growling it's voice. awful <laughs> it's it's not good <laughs> what do you mean it's a bit much also christian pale when he's doing the batman voice, he can never close his mouth all the way he's always like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrendous often imitated as well yeah a voice should be just hard enough that not everybody can do an impression of it yeah because if yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. easy because men love doing five canonical impressions it's like yeah. you, you got your christopher walken your sean connery arnold schwarzenegger arnold schwarzenegger yeah that's a good one <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's move on if, if we're all good and ready. to the dark knight so our original intention was actually to do an entire episode about the dark knight mm-hmm. and then we thought it was strange just to jump in halfway through a trilogy but it's it's the most iconic film of the trilogy right i think it made the most money yeah what is there to say about it what can you say about a sunset what can you say about the grand canyon <laughs> okay this is just natural beauty that it can barely be encapsulated in words the dark it rocks fucking sick i mean the first scene of the movie i remember was released as like a, as a trailer or something for or another movie and it shot completely on imax which you can tell because you never see people's mouths move in in the footage imax cameras are famously extremely loud and so you try to minimize the amount of time people have to have their lips move with audio but it opens with a bank robbery apparently a lot of the dark knight was inspired by the movie heat which has been talked about many times before but which is a bank robbery movie and this scene in particular feels the most heat like even Mm -hmm. though the rest of the movie plays with this idea of two people chasing each other both the villain and the hero one is working with the law one is working against him and you know they they find out that they're not that different you know the two people much like batman and the joker at most where they're both cats and the joker and his thugs they're hitting up a mob bank they're robbing from yes which leads to one of my favorite kind of shoehorned lines in the movie where as this intense scene goes on that features zip lines and drills into the vault or whatever the, the crew of five is split into teams and slowly one by one they're picked off as they double cross each other you're at the edge of your seat because it turns out the joker is in there but they're all wearing cheesy clown masks so you don't know who's who as gradually betray each other and the manager of this mob bank 
bank. He ain't going out like a punk. He has a shotgun under his desk, and he tries to stop the robbers, but he is injured. He's shot by the Joker. And as he's lying on the floor, this mob banker says, criminals in this town used to believe in things. Honor. Respect. With some, like, ridiculous fucking boomer Tony Soprano bullshit, you know. It would have been nice to get in on the ground floor, you know. And it's just so that he can set up. Why would a character ever ask a robber, what do you believe in? (laughs) Why would anyone ask a bank robber this? It'd be more like, can I live, sir? How much will it cost for you to leave? Are you going to murder me? Things like this. But no, Christopher Nolan. What do you believe in? As the bank manager asks, what is your ideology? (laughs) (laughs) You could submit your thesis and be great. (laughs) (laughs) And the Joker rips off his clown mask to reveal his scarred face in war paint. And he says, I believe whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. Paraphrasing Nietzsche. This guy, he doesn't abide by conventional morality. Okay, He's a a fucking ubermensch. He's read as Nietzsche. This is, this is, once again, Christopher Nolan doing philosophy in his action movie by having people ask non-sequitur questions. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> off the bat, Christopher Nolan getting started with it. A couple issues I had with this bank robbery. One, the voice actors they chose for the bank robbers, the other clowns, very funny voices. They have like old school Bronx accents, like Fred Flintstone. It's like, Bonnie! We're robbing with the clowns! <laughs> <laughs> well, Ma! <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to crack this safe, huh? <laughs> this guy calls himself the Joker. <laughs> but yes, what was your other issue? You said he had a couple issues. Okay, so the, the Joker is killing the his co-conspirators so that he has more of the money Correct. from the heist. Yes. The Joker famously wants as much money as possible, right? That's He loves money. Well, I told you. It, it, it's because he wants the pile to be as large as possible. So that, that yeah, comes. so when he sets it on fire, it's, it's bigger. More impressive. Okay. It's about sending a message, Jordano. <laughs> and yet you participate in the economy curious <laughs> <laughs> we've caught joker in a logical fallacy we got him now boys <laughs> yeah so the movie fucking rips along at this breakneck pace it's like a simpsons episode they just yeah. move from topic to topic it is wild it's almost impossible to summarize because they keep finding reasons to have another action set piece yeah there are so many and coquette energy pace it just goes right along i had forgotten how many things happen we open and it's about the Joker betraying the mob and by the end of the movie it's about a renegade DA whose death we need to fake to maintain the symbolism of Batman or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's all over the place but in a good way. After this bank robbery we, we get back to Batman. He's foiling drug deal. the Chechen mob yes. and the Scarecrow. He's putting them away and there's some amateurs who are trying to fight crime. Yes, they're dressed up as Batman and but they have uh, sports equipment like a umpire gear. Um, I believe it's hockey bats. Yes, these <laughs> Batman are more like real vigilantes in that they use guns. A real vigilante would be someone like fucking Charles Bronson from Death Wish, right? Just mm-hmm. murder the scum. Batman has this weird code where it's brutal extrajudicial beatings, okay. <laughs> brutal extrajudicial killings, not okay. It could be the Drake meme of like... Right. <laughs> For a guy who is very concerned about not killing anybody, it's a lot of liberal use of explosives in public spaces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yes, there's the ar- iconic line where Batman stops not only the drug dealer, but he stops the amateur Batman who are using guns. And one of these pudgy Batmans is like, what's the difference between you and me? <laughs> Batman responds, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Which you could translate to, I have rich guy privilege. <laughs> I went to ninja school. Yeah. He's just gatekeeping. I studied the blade. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, though? He's kind of got a point. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 
Only the American aristocracy should be allowed to commit extrajudicial justice. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that we have different sets of rules for different classes of people. (laughs) (laughs) Feudalism over here. Actually, maybe we have this all wrong. Maybe Christopher Nolan isn't a reactionary fascist. Maybe he's a feudalist. Maybe he just believes that we need to give the rich, like, liege lord privileges. Mm -hmm. We have to go check if he tweeted about the Queen's death. I think Christopher Nolan thinks Batman should have the prima nocte right in his ideology. God, I'm just thinking of the sequel about that called The Darkest Night. <laughs> Batman the first night. Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah, he does think that the rich deserve better things. Man, the rich did the Underground Railroad, didn't you hear? <laughs> and has a fucking night, K-N-I-G-T, right in the title there. In any event, moving along with the synopsis. Yeah, Harvey Dent. He's cute. He's a hero. He's the, the DA of Gotham City, and he's a rising star. He's a Bobby Kennedy-like figure. Yeah, played by Aaron Eckhart. They got the buddiest butt chin for this guy. Oh, he's an yeah. all-American hero-looking guy. To be a conceivable other Batman chin. Mm-hmm. They needed that, I think, is like really what sold him on the role. <laughs> they were like, we need someone whose chin is believable enough to be bought by the Gotham public. Yeah, that becomes a plot point later. Yeah, he is an absolute giga Chad. He's good at his job. He's a rising star. He's putting away the scum of Gotham. And in the one courtroom scene that we see, there's an attempted assassination attempt, and he is not even <laughs> flushed. Someone pulls a gun on him, pulls a trigger, it misfires, and this crusading DA punches the guy in the face, rips the gun out of his hands, tears it apart, identifies the model and where it's from, China, and just has the absolute swag outline, if you're going to kill a public servant, suggest you buy American. So the movie establishes that he rocks. 2000s had a lot more fear of China, especially in movies, because now the same fear and American insecurity about China still exists, but you wouldn't dare put it in a movie. No, they watched so many movies over there. (laughs) But in the 2000s, I feel like that's when the real fear of China as a potential enemy was starting, especially in 2008 when this movie is released, because the American economy was falling apart like a homunculus. But, But at that time, you could actually put a line like that in a movie i just don't think any superhero movie would ever dream of saying don't buy a chinese good man they remade red dawn the 1980s film about the soviets invading america and they filmed the entire film with the premise that it was china invading america Mm -hmm. this came out like 2012 14 around there and they had to go back and post and change the film because they're like we need to release in china we need to make a whole bunch of money so they changed it so that north korea invaded america (laughs) they photoshopped all the chinese characters out replaced it with the korean lettering and they also had to change the plot because the obvious first question is wait how what <laughs> and i think it involves some kind of emp device so that america had no electricity but yeah you, you you need to sell movies to china right yeah this is only the first to dig at china this movie is very anti-chinese right yeah he does as it. much as it is anything else it is anti-chinese it's you got to be wary of the chinese much like the soprano family america they always need to villainize someone and in this decade it was china and the muslim world i guess and france (laughs) (laughs) the scene right before that courtroom one is actually the one where we get one of the more iconic non-joker pre-production photos i think that we got of dark knight which was him standing on the somehow still smoking rubble of wayne manor Mm. and it is batman at ground zero (laughs) and feeling so contemplative about it but it to me that is one of the most iconic shots of this movie and really i think sets the tone for christopher nolan often seems like he's paying attention to headlines and then the politics come out half-baked yeah i think we see a lot of that even though it comes out 
out after the decade you guys are looking at. The third movie is clearly influenced by Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. This movie is clearly, I think, influenced by a lot of the Iraq War, yeah, I mean, Patriot they, Act. They call the Joker a terrorist at several points in this film. So yeah, Harvey Dent, we're introduced to him. And one of the main plots that runs through this entire film, even though we have this mob plotline, we have this Joker plotline that intersect in different ways. But there's going to be a triple alliance between Harvey Dent, Lieutenant Gordon, who don't trust each other because Harvey Dent used to work in internal affairs and knows that Gordon still works with some slightly dirty cop who worked in racketeering or what have you. And of course, the Batman. So this three-man alliance is going to put away all of the mob. And hopefully after that, Batman will be able to retire and leave the justicing to Harvey Dent and the legal system. That's the kind of main goal of the movie that gets this huge wrench thrown in it by the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, the triumvirate here. Oh, look. uh... Oh, yeah, triumvirate. (laughs) Interesting, because they also bring up Caesar at one point. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if in certain times of crisis and exception, you may need some kind of strong man, the half-baked Christopher Nolan politics. And so they do that. The DA, Harvey Dent, puts away the entire mafia on a RICO case, which (laughs) which Rachel has to explain to him how that works. No, Rachel has to have explained to her. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) In one of the clumsiest moments of exposition in the entire trilogy, (laughs) Harvey has to explain how a RICO case works to her. To a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, taking a page from the Dan Brown verse and using mansplaining (laughs) to get important information to the viewer or reader. Well, it's not like Christopher Nolan has ever thought about a woman in any of his movies. I mean, Bruce, for all you know, Bruce never had a mother and only his dad was ever killed. Uh, (laughs) Like, (laughs) way they did Christopher Nolan movies in general and especially in this trilogy are just kind of like not great. So in order for this case to work, they need the mob's numbers guy. But the numbers guy has fled to China. He's a Chinese Chinese. He's yes. he's one of the supervillains of the he he's he's an accounting <laughs> supervillain. He uses accounting for evil, I, not I, for I, good. I believe his supervillain name is the embezzler, <laughs> the tax avoider. <laughs> And so Lao, uh, he's a crooked accountant, and he hides the mob's money, and he goes to China. So they can't prosecute the mob without this guy. So wouldn't you know it, Batman does an extradition. (laughs) (laughs) Batman does the CIA's work for them. He flies to China, and he abducts this Chinese businessman out of a skyscraper using a skyhook, which is a fancy device to essentially have a plane yank you off the ground safely somehow. They do have a throwaway line that this gadget that he uses was a CIA project from the 60s. This would so. be such a crazy international incident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the I was like, well, extrajudicial killings? No. The ones again, the Drake me extrajudicial yeah. extraditions? That's the good shit. If this was the real world, he would have set off World War III in an attempt to prosecute Fat Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Sean Spicer or Jim Sackey, whoever these white house press correspondents are just having to say something like we don't know the batman is american <laughs> it's could have been no anyone batmaning this guy out of china batman's got to do some more extraditions by the way you know make, <laughs> maybe he can get who's that guy who's in france polanski he should do roman polanski next <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, now they have a case. But the mob is starting to panic. 
and the mob turns to a man they don't fully understand. The Joker. And maybe you deny them, Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne. <laughs> yeah, there's this idea brought up that Batman has escalated things in this movie. It's almost presented as if the Joker would not exist without Batman, which I don't... It's a physics problem, right? M- movable object. Yeah, one of the Joker's last lines is uh, the uh, the unstoppable force meaning an immovable yeah, object. I think the Joker still does all that stuff if Batman does it is. He's kind of presupposing that there's this equilibrium of crime and mm-hmm. that any attempt to push crime down will only result in it getting worse some way like the armor piercing bullets comment from the previous movie yeah the escalation yeah but the joker says he only does what he does because he loves playing with batman right i think especially with that first nietzsche comment that he has he likes to point out the hypocrisy of everyone in their system right he likes to point out the hypocrisy of you know these people will throw away their code when the going gets tough with the fairies and a lot of the contradictions expressed through the batman who breaks the law to support the law so if his whole thing is pointing out people's hypocrisy and and the contradictions of everything. Of course, the Batman is the microcosm of all of that. Mm, okay. But yeah, the, the Joker's opening scene with the mob is fucking awesome. This is where we have the famous pencil. Yeah, where he makes the pencil disappear. But his superpower is insanity. <laughs> Again, you want to talk about fucking the terrorism analogy. The reason he's able to waltz in, insult all these mobsters who are having this convention <laughs> of all the, all of the different ethnic gangsters of yeah. Gotham. A rainbow coalition of crime. He was at the co-op meeting from The Wire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason he's able to insult them and literally murder one of their goons and waltz out is because when he opens his jacket, he has a whole bunch of grenades tied to a pull string. So he essentially threatens to suicide bomb all of them, if you want to talk about a terrorism analogy there. And that's how he's able to waltz around and do whatever he likes. So the mob agrees to pay the Joker half of their big pile of money if he can get rid of the Batman for them. I think the next thing that happens is that... At the first meetup of the Triumvirate, that we talked about actually and I, I just really love that there's the moment when they, they first meet up and it's Gordon and Dent arguing about their past history you guys mentioned but mm-hmm. Batman's just standing there third <laughs> awkwardly and it's got real like mom and dad are arguing vibes, you know? actually rather than go beat by beat I just want to stress some of the major big set piece action scenes I had like a little list here that I'll just do this rapid fire you got the opening bank scene the drug deal scene with the amateur Batmans this Hong Kong skyscraper scene Batman fighting in the penthouse with the Joker. After that, there's a big road chase scene with the Batmobile where the semi-truck is flipped. You have high-intensity interrogation fight scene. The Joker's escape. You have the attempt to kill a whistleblower who was on TV and about to reveal Batman's identity. That involves Bruce Wayne driving around in a Lamborghini trying to save this guy. Two-Face's rampage, killing people with his coin flick. One big climactic fight scene in the under-construction skyscraper. And then another big climactic fight scene when two face abducts gordon kids that's on my fingers that's seven or eight of these big intense action set pieces that are all in this two and a half hour long movie and there's just stuff between all of as well just so much fucking happens yeah it sort of relies on moving you along at a certain pace because if you stop too long you're like wait how how would that make any sense it definitely is a movie that relies i think on just sort of pulling you along with that pace you really got to be like a dog chasing cars here you got to just kind of keep going with it because thousand percent if you stop and think about oh wait why is commissioner gordon faking his own death yeah, yeah, yeah okay i can't even think about that we're on to we're on to the next action scene it makes yeah. no sense yeah how did the joker know they would pull a print off of a bullet fragment to lead him to a window at the right time that a timer goes off like <laughs> there's a lot of that but that stuff doesn't really bother me too much because it's in the service of keeping this two and a half hour movie feeling 
like it's moving fast. Yeah, I'm actually surprised more movies don't take this tack. It's a lot easier to suspend your disbelief if you just bombard the viewer <laughs> with things. <laughs> just keep things happening. Returning to the synopsis, there, there's a, a plot where the, uh, the mayor is almost assassinated and then Gordon uses it to fake his own death. And what you need to know is that the Joker says that he wants Batman to reveal his identity. And if he doesn't reveal his identity, then the Joker is going to keep killing people. So the moral conflict that Batman is faced with is that he can stop the death from happening, but it would destroy the symbol that he's worked so hard to build. Symbol of the bat, symbol of hope. And now Harvey Dent is the one being threatened. Harvey Dent claims that he's the Batman, which means that they can use him as bait to apprehend the Joker, which leads to the big car chase fight scene with the Batmobile, with, which rocks. It's, I think it's the best action sequence of the movie, other than maybe the bank robbery at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely the, the top-notch one. I think the prettiest looking one was the, the extradition, all that night shots of Hong Kong on yes. IMAX. But <laughs> this is an amazing set action piece. Considering Christopher Nolan's fight sequences, like his hand-to-hand shit, is awful. He's never learned to film a fight scene. I, I disagree. Saw, I saw many people accuse him of that, that he's, he's just not good with hand-to-hand combat. It's bad in this. I think it's bad in all three movies, particularly egregious in some of the group stuff in the third movie. But beyond that, I think that he's really good, I think, at doing something like a car chase, which is a nice, simple, something goes, something follows. It's very up Christopher Nolan's sort of technical expertise alley. I think it makes the most of his talents. And all that shit is cool as hell. I remember my theater lost its goddamn mind. One, when the bike came out. Mm-hmm. Two, when the bike's wheel went sideways. People were like, oh, shit. And then when it d- does the final after he, like, ATATs it and flips it backwards up the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My audience cheered. We, like, people, <laughs> we were there on opening weekend, and people were fired up. It was the coolest shit Batman's ever done. Yeah. And in this chase scene, Gordon is in an armored police cruiser, and the Joker is in an 18-wheeler semi that has laughter factory written on the side. But wouldn't you know it, the Joker spray painted a red S, so it says slaughter, a slaughter factory on it. <laughs> I, read it I read it as slaughter every time. Every time, you gotta. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it, at the end of the scene, they apprehend the Joker. Yeah, not before Batman has an opportunity to kill the Joker. Which he does not take, because he has one rule. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish that maybe he was a bit more Machiavellian, I suppose. And you're like... <laughs> Listen, if I spare this guy right now, he's going to kill more people. But they thought they had him. They thought they had him dead to rights. But wouldn't you know it, even though the Joker was in a cell, he was the one who was really in control. Because, as we alluded to, the Joker has these dumb Rube Goldberg-esque plans that (laughs) depend on a thousand things going right. Do I look like a guy with a plan? Yeah. Yeah. You do. (laughs) You look like a guy who draws fucking blueprints. This also started off a fucking huge trend. You want to talk about a trend of movies going to that dark, gritty reboot. This also started a huge trend of franchises where the villain gets willingly captured as a mm-hmm. ruse. Mm-hmm. James Bond actually does this in a couple of years. It happens after in this. Skyfall. It happens We've in the We've talked Avengers. about it on the pod before. What what, yeah. what franchise was it? Jackass? Talk, Jackass? How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> how I Met Your Mother. Barty Stinson does this in one right. of his playbook plays. Yeah. Fucking the, 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 the second rebooted Star Trek does this with on where it's like oh they got caught on purpose and they're the ones who are really cool it was so copied and it felt very much like this was the genesis of it people yeah. wanted to recreate a little bit of that yeah and it's it's also itself 
a reference to 1980s comic books. In Watchmen, Rorschach gets thrown into prison, not on purpose, he just gets caught. And when he's in prison, he has the legendary badass Alpha Rorschach line, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked near me. Yeah. I suppose it's a really good way of adding a kink to like a traditional story structure where the hero is winning, a bad guy defeats hero, then they, the good guy works to defeat bad guy. And so in this one, you can actually have the hero have like a mini high point in the middle of the movie. What would you say is the climax of this film? I think this is the, the multiple orgasms of Batman. Yeah, movie. for sure. I, yeah, I would say when the Joker is hanging upside down and giving that speech to Batman. Coming at you again with the, the, the Two-Face afterwards. Yeah, I mean, the stakes to that are fairly low. Only Jim Gordon's child. <laughs> yeah, but compared to like, two fairies or all of Gotham, it's just like, oh yeah, Gordon's family might die. It's like, okay, thanks for slightly Speaking lower. of Christopher Nolan doesn't give a shit about the women, they're like, what if I put a bullet in your wife's brain? Gordon's like, well, please don't. <laughs> what about your little daughter? Come on, what about your son? My God. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it, do it to me. <laughs> Not my boy. Because as we establish, he is a neo-feudalist. And that son is Gordon's <laughs> heir. He's going to carry on his name in castles. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys it's think a... of Harvey Dent's descend into insanity? I didn't really buy it. His girlfriend dies, and this seems to be enough of a trigger for him to let the Joker live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, would... yeah. I suppose also he also has like half of his flesh. He also got off. fucking maimed, and the movie makes clear he is in excruciating pain, and he's refusing painkillers. Yeah, I don't also buy that. He doesn't even wince later in the movie when he tackles someone or something like that. He's in a fucking car accident <laughs> yeah. with Maroney that he causes. Yeah, but he was wearing a seatbelt. He was wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> he walks away. Yeah. I really wanted to see them go all out and just have other things getting stuck to him. He also lets Ramirez live. Because he believes in the coin. Does he? <laughs> well, what happened I mean, to Maroney he, when yeah, he, he got Yeah, he kind of cheated the coin with the driver. <laughs> got you out of technicality. Ramirez is the one person who is maybe like, most, the respons most responsible for yeah. Rachel's death. Death. yeah yeah well it's not about what's fair this is why i know but like i just pointed out that he does cheat the coin <laughs> <laughs> in at least one instance yeah i guess you cheat the coin to kill a mobster but do you cheat the the poor struggling detective with the sick mom in the hospital who did it who is most responsible for killing the person who incited you into this violent streak this is why yeah. i prefer batman begins to this movie mm. this movie is much more visually impressive it's got the better action it's cooler maybe i'm being pedantic but i want some internal consistency to a movie yeah each successive movie has more plot holes than the last one i think they they increase exponentially mm -hmm. joker's captured he's really in control he eventually gets out because he asks for a phone call in order to get that phone call he needs to manipulate a cop into beating him then he takes that cop hostage demands his phone call calls in the phone call one of his henchmen a paranoid schizophrenic has a <laughs> bomb sewed into him the second suicide bombing of the film that blows up which allows him to escape all the while he has distracted Gordon and Batman by capturing Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes putting them in two separate locations with bombs only one can be saved Batman has to choose he actually chooses Rachel but the Joker one step ahead again gave them the wrong address so Batman mostly saves Harvey Dent though he is maimed becoming two-faced with half his face all melted and grotesque and Rachel dies Christopher Nolan really uh, hating women 
women once again. The the only good guy death in this entire franchise. Uh, is it? What about the mayor? The mayor? Oh, the mayor who was rumored to be Miss the Calendar Man because of his dark eyes. <laughs> He's got amazing eyelashes. Yeah. Those are, it's all natural, that look. Wow. He just has dark eyes like that. He's in Lost as well. But no, I, I don't think any of the quote-unquote good guy protagonists die in the franchise other than Rachel Dawes, other than the woman. And she's kind of killed twice when you think of the fact that they recast Katie Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to wrap up the plot here, the Joker, he does a very popular thing in the 2000s, which was a social experiment <laughs> and, and put it on YouTube. <laughs> he, he was doing a social experiment where you take two fairies worth of people and you give them a detonator for the other fairy and you say that you'll let the other fairy live if you blow up the other one. It's a, it's a high stake prisoner still, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to rat on the other guy? Right. Whatever? He wants to descend Gotham into pure chaos. Mm-hmm. And yes, one boat is filled with Gotham's most violent who are being attacked for very dumb reasons. The Joker says that he's going to put a bomb on a bridge or tunnel or something and Gordon's like, we got to evacuate all the prisoners that Harvey Dent got out of there. I know they're part of Joker's plan, but he's always 10 steps ahead of you. <laughs> Have you learned nothing? Whatever you think, do the opposite. That's the only way to beat the Joker. And so one fairy is filled with prisoners. One fairy is filled with just average Gothamites. They're faced with this dilemma. They have 15 minutes. Do you blow up the other boat and live or do you not? And if you don't blow it up, both boats blow up at midnight. And both boats decide not to blow up the other one. The movie ends with the boat's not doing it. Batman beats up the Joker and also some SWAT guys. Harvey Dent dies and the film ends with Batman taking the rap for all of the people that Harvey Dent killed on his Two-Face rampage because he's not the hero that Gotham deserves, but he's the one it needed. Or maybe the other way around. I forget which way it goes. Yeah, I can never remember which one it deserved. Which. Yeah. But the idea is that Harvey will live on as a symbol of justice and light and hope. Harvey Dent, no one's going to know about all the people you kill because they're all going to get tacked onto that man. See, the police destroying the bat signal. They're not going to work with the vigilante anymore. So Batman kind of got what he wanted in that Gotham is standing up on its own two feet without the Batman but he needs to be the scapegoat he needs to be the fucking sin eater of their watchful protector it's a wild take that this is what Batman ends up being good for is being a scapegoat for a lie yeah that's a that's a grim one kind of yeah that is really good it's also the end of the Batman as a vigilante this is his last thing he ever does they say explicitly they say that the last time he was seen was on the night that Harvey Dent this could have been the end of series but good things come in three Warner (laughs) Brothers needed it to be but Christopher Nolan did not want to do more Batman he originally did have a trilogy planned and then it was after Heath Ledger died it threw his plan into the bin because because the, the third movie was supposed to include the Joker. Uh, so yeah, they went, gonna... they rewrote. Okay, let's talk about, about the themes then. So chaos versus order. I think that one of the things about this movie that is better than Batman Begins, I will admit to you guys, is that the villain's ideology makes a lot more sense. Yeah. In that the Joker, he just wants to watch the world burn. Yep. Which is, I think, an idea that's sewed itself into society. People reference that all the time. I just finished reading Matthew Perry's autobiography this morning. And he, he, he says that line in his... <laughs> His autobiography about, <laughs> I think he's talking about opiates ideology. He just wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. And what I love about it, fuck your nuance. Fuck your backstory. You don't get a backstory. In 1989, Batman with Jack Nicholson Joker, we had a whole <laughs> elaborate backstory where he was in the mom. He's the one who killed Batman's parents. He had like an actual name. But in this one, he has no ID when he's captured. Gordon says he carries nothing in his pockets except for knives and lint. And he custom makes his own clothes. You can't even trace where he buys his clothes. He's a force of fucking nature. He's Antifa. (laughs) 
<laughs> and yeah, that's what I kind of like in a villain. You don't need an explanation. I don't need to relativize the villain's villainy by hearing about their fucking tough childhood. Or like, even Thanos in the Avengers, he kills half of all life on universe because he's how unsustainable shit is. They try and find some way that you can try and understand the villain's motivations, which lets you relativize them. But fuck it. This is baby brain comic book shit. Give me good versus evil. Did you Give like me- the new Joker movie? It was fine. I saw it in theaters. It was fine. Okay. I thought, I thought it was good, but only because it was very funny. It was a we live in a society. Yeah. But they get into all of that and they show his home life and whatnot. How, yeah. he, how he bombs at open mic night. But I think he's he's a fantastic villain. He's probably the best comic book villain in Western history. Clown prince of crime. It, it was definitely an iconic performance. The hype before this movie was unreal. Now one of those very Easter egg heavy sort of yeah, like, where like we have a website where we can direct you to if mm-hmm. you do enough sleuthing, you can find a still from the yeah, viral marketing. Yeah. So it was one. One of the first ones that I remember being huge buzz because I remember Batman Begins was successful, but it didn't really generate anywhere close to the buzz. But especially because Heath Ledger passed away before the movie came out, you had all those rumors about how it was too twisted. And suddenly it, it gave it this, this, you want to talk about myth making. It was already existed for the, it as a movie coming out. And I think that really helped amplify its sort of like cultural impact. Yeah, but the ideology is deep. There's an existential question to it, right? Just wanting to live in complete anarchy. What is Jack Nicholson's ideology in, in 1989? Batman. It's probably just that he wants to have money or something. Like Mr. Freeze, he wants to save his wife or something. It's just, it's much more like straight lined. And mm-hmm. I do like that Christopher Nolan added a sort of depth to the motivations of the villain, even if it was just to watch the world burn. This is an ideology that's been taken on by like, people on Twitter and like <laughs> incels and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the world has been pretty jokerfied for sure. In terms of the chaos versus order that you see, this gets into the reactionary politics movie because something we didn't mention is that Batman does need to cross a line to stop the Joker. It's not the murdering people line, it's civil liberties line. He <laughs> develops a giant machine that you can only call it the Patriot Act machine. Or the NSA machine. <laughs> That's what we kept referring to it as, yeah. Because it turns every single cell phone in Gotham City to a sonar machine so he can listen and see everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And he uses this to find and stop the Joker. The movie kind of gestures towards how this might be ethically problematic because Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox like no man should have this power but Batman's just gonna use it one time in the state of exception that's gonna put it back he's not gonna be a Caesar which is very very Y2K war on we gotta break a few rules okay gotta justify the panopticon Mm -hmm. this is one reference to the idea of democracy maybe maybe it has a few flaws that a strong man would be able to rectify well I think the fairies are actually probably the biggest counter argument to your idea that these are some of the most right wing movies imaginable Okay, because well, the fairies, I think, are actually Christopher Nolan suggesting that people are inherently good. What? What? Wait! 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 wait. What, how, how does the? Yeah. How does the democracy vote vote? That they vote. Yeah. To, to kill. Yeah. But then when they actually have to do it, they they recognize that their direct complicity in something like that is they can't actually stomach it. So it's you actually, mean the if people anything, at the top that, like these overrid warhawks. <laughs> the people at the top overrode the democratic wants of the vote. <laughs> 
in order to make the sensible decision. But they didn't. They didn't. They yeah, just said the, like... The, the like police, who is like a literal police officer, is like, no, I don't care how the vote went. I'm not doing it. Yeah. There's wait, like wait, wait. Guy, that's, there's wait, wait, wait. That's the two different votes. The police officer and the one where the prisoner ends up throwing it out the window is not the one where they vote to, to blow it up. No individual on the democracy vote wants to get their hands dirty and do it, but they all want to do They it. all vote to do it. They all vote. Right. So they all vote. Well, they don't all vote to do it, but yeah, a majority vote to do it to save themselves is the, the sort of justification that they can try to tell themselves. But the fact that none of them can actually do it sort of indicates that at least that there is, to me, all right, if anything, it's just sort of showing the hypocrisy of people who would so callously call for it. And the idea that like that they could you could do that from a distance, you could do that without getting your hands dirty is actually sort of like... Which is sort of a criticism of democracy, I think. You have two votes, one where it's prisoners, and that's ruled by like an officer's corps, and, and they just decide we're not going to blow up the other boat. And then you have the democracy boat, where they vote to blow up the prisoner ferry, and the sensible people at the top decide to not enforce the, the democratic result. Isn't it? It's not so much as enforcing it is that just nobody will do it. Nobody will carry it No out. one will step up to the plate. Nobody will just follow orders. <laughs> In a democracy, there's too much noise. There's too much crowd. There's too much. Yeah, the, the people don't know. What Batman is actually just people taking direct action in their communities to try to better it. <laughs> and rather than trying to do this through representational politics in which you can justify these horrific acts of violence against your fellow man by the distance between you and what you say and the actual act. You know, I could make a good argument. Right there. <laughs> the spying plot line is really what puts it over yeah the patriot act machine the fairies the the specific talk about the triumvirate the way that batman does act as an extrajudicial justice force a the necessary the binary that's presented you could die a hero by living by your code or live long enough to become the villain even the scene that we didn't talk about much where there's this minor character named Kyle Reese figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and he goes on TV threatening to reveal who Batman is. And Joker calls into the show says, if this guy isn't dead within an hour, I'm blowing up a hospital. And the movie implies that every single Gothamite is ready to just throttle. A cop is about to shoot him. A guy in a pickup truck sees him across an intersection <laughs> tries to ram him with his car. The underlying notion of crowds in the Chris Nolan verse is that they are one bad day away. One one perverse incentive away from just herring you limb from limb. Mm -hmm. You ever been on Twitter? <laughs> I'm going to cancel one person <laughs> per hour. <laughs> oh, I hate this version. <laughs> Pervy Dent gets me too, and that's what they're actually covering up. <laughs> no, it was me. I'll say I did it. <laughs> Batman has to take the fall for Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm the one who was sniffing that little girl's hair. <laughs> Yeah, so another major theme that you see is, once again, it's the theme of justice, talking about what justice is and the nature of justice within particular systems, where Batman has this weird hybrid system where he wants the institutions to work, but they need a little Batmaning to get them over the justice finish line. The Joker thinks it's all hypocrisy. You need state-sanctioned violence to enforce the non-violence, so he's going to show everyone how hypocritical they are. Like he says, if a van full of soldiers blows up in Iraq, no one bats an eye, but you threaten to blow up one hospital and everyone loses their mind because it's not according to the plan. So he's going to show everyone's hypocrisy. His his point that there is no justice. There is no justice within the system that requires justice to enforce it. And then of course you have Harvey Dent's random chance. The only fairness that there is. Stripped away of any pretensions. Just the coin. Which as Giordano said was uh, is, is pretty inconsistently applied. Batman operates outside the law, obviously. I think that this film explores if that's okay. Because you have the people at the beginning of the movie 
movie who are trying to be Batman, essentially, and doing that. And then by the end of the movie, you have Harvey Dent, who's doing the same thing when, when he's just a guy with a gun. And it presents it as being, like, listen, Batman can do this because he has like, a perfect moral center, but nobody else is allowed to. I do like the idea that he presents that like the ultimate goal of a superhero should be to not be needed anymore. Somewhat novel. I don't remember seeing that in any of the Marvel movies or anything, but Batman, he really wants to transition, much like the U.S. in the way that they want to get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> he wants to transition to them solving their own problem. <laughs> and I like that they lay the groundwork for that because it's going to be like the main point of the next movie in which I think they completely fumble the ball on because <laughs> Batman needs to do everything in the next movie. Yeah. Yeah, the U.S. federal government does not show up in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, okay, so just to wrap up The Dark Knight, there's a bit of stuff around myth-making, which we've already discussed. How does a, a hero get created as a symbol for hope? And should they use the Batman as the hero? Should they use Harvey Dent? It's interesting that this was coming out in July 2008 when a certain other hero was running on a platform of hope and being a symbol <laughs> of change. change. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen a poster of this individual Joker-fied with the caption, socialism. So I don't know. Is, is, is Barack Obama Batman or is he actually Joker? Have you thought of that? Obama's an anarchist, right? So, he's a communist. <laughs> he's a communist. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So he's more like Bane, maybe. Green. And so Christopher Nolan, for all of his faults, I guess maybe ideology-wise, he knows how to make a great superhero movie. Then other people should take notes. That if you film real people in real places, it's just it's going to be so much better and so much more iconic. And if you gesture at least to themes, it's going to be a lot more memorable than just having it be this straight A to B plot to save the world. Let's talk about The Dark Knight Rises very quickly. Well, very quickly. It's not made in the 2000s, so we're going to have to skim over it but it is the end of a trilogy that started in the 2000s and it makes a few cultural references to what was going on at that time yeah it has tremendous plot holes the villain bane blows up all of the bridges going into gotham city's version of manhattan he locks up all of the cops underground at one point and we are the viewer are meant to believe that the u.s federal government would just let this happen because he has some bomb and they send one team of special forces guys in a year this movie takes place over a fucking year the dark knight it moves so quick it feels like it takes place over maybe a week or two and yeah the second one brings up this idea that regular people need to safeguard their own city and they, they shouldn't need like a batman figure and regular people do not do a great job of that in this movie <laughs> <laughs> they seem to bungle a lot of their attempts to eradicate bane from the city and batman needs to do literally everything also this one came out shortly after occupy wall street which happened in 2011 this movie comes out in 2012 and i remember the trailer features anne hathaway's Catwoman sexily whispering like you and your friends better batten down the hatches because we're coming to steal your gold or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. There's a big storm coming. Yeah, storm's brewing, Miss Lane. Uh, <laughs> this movie fucking hates poor people. Bane claims to speak for the working classes. And once again, those working classes are going to turn on you. They're going to host kangaroo courts that are going to charge you with treason and force you to walk onto thin ice. And yeah. who are who do they charge? Yeah, they charge the executives of the Wayne Company that I already don't like. Yeah. And I remember watching this in 2012 <laughs> and being very confused as to why I should not like Bane. Go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there's poor people living in the rich people's houses. <laughs> okay. They're yeah. prosecuting the executives of Wayne Manor that ruined Bruce Wayne. Uh, there's been an uptick in squatting Bane took over. <laughs> also, okay, I'm probably going to cut this, but John, Ben, please explain this to me. So, the League of Shadows in Batman Begins, they want to ruin Gotham because there's too many crimes happening there. They don't like it. It's like when your friend's house is dirty and it's bothering you, even though you're not there right now. 
yeah. between the Dark Knight and the Dark the Dark Knight Rises, crime has basically been like eradicated from Gotham City because of Harvey Dent and everything. So it's like on the up and up. There's no more crimes in, in Gotham City. And yet Bane comes back to finish Ra's al Ghul's mandate. Yep. Which Matt Ra's al Ghul's mandate was to destroy the city where too many crimes were happening, but now the city isn't doing any more crimes. So Correct. It's a vibe. <laughs> it's a vibe. Okay. <laughs> you never read the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is like my uncles who when I tell them I live in New York City and they're like, Well, it was nice knowing you, you know. I live above a kombucha door. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, Bane was watching a little bit of too much Fox News. It's like, this is a hellscape. <laughs> Bane is a guy who's afraid of cities. Yeah. They've lost control in San Francisco. <laughs> it's become ungoverned. These DAs are too soft on grime. <laughs> they let people walk. I've seen it. Yeah, it, it is very funny to me that the manliest thing you can do on the right right now is be afraid of American cities. Dark Knight Rises, it's slow, it's boring, but we already talked about how much the Tom Hardy Bane voice rocks. Tom Hardy Bane is body goals. <laughs> what every man's body should look like. <laughs> what I'm aiming towards is always bulking season. I, I, as I, and as I said already, I like it because it's about getting up after your L's. It has the same message as Rocky, man. It's about going the distance. Getting up. You could definitely throw the Rocky theme in, in this movie <laughs> and it would probably be better for it. Yeah, when he's climbing out of the pit. When he finally makes the jump, I was jumping up and down. It rocks, even on the rewatch. Closing thoughts on the Chris Nolan Batman. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> they're good. They're the best superhero movies ever made. And if more superhero movies were made like this, I would actually watch them. Yeah, there's a craft to it. And Christopher Nolan is one of four directors who cares about movies. I have so much respect for Christopher Nolan because anybody can make, you know, Tarantino can make a great movie. James Cameron can make, make great, all these people can make great movies, but it takes a special kind of great person to make a superhero movie a good movie. Yeah, it's tough because it's, it's baby brain picture books children. Right. So, I know that's probably a divisive opinion. I've read a lot of comic books in my day. Whoever was working on branding came up with graphic novel to trick people into thinking <laughs> they were for grown-ups. They did a great job. <laughs> that person deserves a marketing award. It's fine. Baby bearing books for children can be good, but Christopher Nolan, he threads that needle in that he respects the source material. He has read the good story, the good graphic novels of Batman from Frank Miller in the 80s. He has respect for it without putting it up on a fucking pedestal, which is picture books for children. It's, it's easy to find some criticism. I didn't like the third one in theaters. Found it really disappointing, and I think a lot of that weird timeline and geography and all the stuff that were like moved too fast in the second one, so you couldn't notice the the gaps or the inconsistencies. Uh, it's so drawn out and tedious. I think in the third one at times that you can't help but be caught up on it. Yeah. Like, why did you take the time to oil up that oh, bridge yeah, yeah, yeah. to light a symbol? Uh, like, I guess yeah. the symbol's that important. When that happened, I was imagining Batman climbing up on the bridge and putting the oil there taking like four hours to get it, the shape right doing it clandestinely and I, it did take me out of it I'm, I'm picturing him like okay i gotta do this on the checklist gotta <laughs> put the oil on the bridge <laughs> but all in all it seems like kind of knocked it out of the park i tend to leave the third one off of any rewatches but all in all it's pretty damn great the third one definitely uses even more imax which is nice there are only four imax cameras in the world yeah they're all owned by the imax corporation they lend them out to filmmakers they're like like panda bears. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan has destroyed two of the world's four <laughs> I, IMAX cameras. Much like panda bears as well. 
<laughs> yeah, so closing thoughts, go watch the first two Batman. And if you've recently taken an L, watch the third. All right, if you join, thank you for listening. As always, like, subscribe, give us five stars, write us a review. If you write us a comment on the YouTube, we will read it. It's generally good for the algorithm to get likes and leave ratings and stuff like that. So if you ever can and you want to take a, a second to help us out, you know, give it a thumbs up or, or rate it five stars because it helps it show up in search results. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordano. And big thanks to our guest, John. Thank you for Thank coming. Thank you guys for having me. It's been very fun. And I will, I've will. i listened to a few of the episodes, and I've never liked and given it five stars, so I will have to do that. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> Gotta help you, the search you, results. You haven't been prompted and given a reason to do it. It's not just for our vanity. It's for uh, the almighty algorithm. Yeah. John really oh, was not the guest we deserved, but the one this episode needed. So, <laughs> in that sense, we're going to blame everything bad on him. <laughs> yeah, that works. You know, I'm, I'm great foil for that he's our scapegoat all right thanks for listening ciao peace